Hey, Lisa. Hey, Corey. How you doing? I'm well. I have to say, I, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, and um, the weather has been particularly spectacular today and yesterday. Like super warm, like shorts weather. <laughs> Nice. It's really, really beautiful. So I'm counting myself very lucky. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The last couple of days have been a bit of a thaw here in Colorado too. We've had a couple uh, nice 60 degree days in a row, which is after the last week is really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So here we are, episode three of uh, The Art of Practice. Yeah, already. I can't yeah. even believe it. <laughs> we intended this to be a monthly show, but we just got so excited. We had to do uh, 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 an ad hoc show in between. So Yep. This is our, our, our third show in one month, which I think is great. Um, I yep. love doing the show with you. Um, you know, it's really cool that we have this sort of platform and this opportunity to, um, you know, give people general updates with what's going on with ILP platform, what new sessions we're bringing in, what new practice leaders we're bringing in. I mean, it's a really cool way, I think, for our members to kind of stay, um, you know, ahead of what's, what's coming down the line. Um, so why don't you, you know, I think you've got actually a few... A, pretty cool updates today to share. Why don't you, why don't you do that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, actually I am super excited to welcome two new practice leaders to the ILP platform. Um, uh, and some of you may have actually joined Anissa. Uh, I think her last name is pronounced Wilhelm Stater, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. So Anissa, if I messed that up, sorry. Um, anyway, but she brought her nail practice and AIL practice uh, to ILP this last week. And this is a four-step alignment self-reflection process that's um, specifically crafted for people to help them step into the space between stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as we know, if we can step into that space, if we can actually increase that space, it allows us to have more freedom of choice in how we want to respond to anything that's happening. So I know the participants who did join the, and join Anissa this last time really enjoyed it. Um, she's going to be offering that monthly going forward. So I'm super excited uh, for that. And then that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I, I really loved connecting with her a couple of weeks ago. She's uh, yeah. she's she's extraordinary. Yeah, I really loved that too. Um, and then we're also uh, welcoming John Dupuy, uh, the author of Interval Recovery and co-founder of um, and CEO actually of iAwake. Uh, he is going to be offering something called Integral Recovery for Everyone, um, and that'll be every two weeks beginning the first Friday in March. Um, and what's cool about this one is that uh, is that it's really going to be for everyone, uh, just as the title says. If you know if you're suffering from substance abuse issues, then then it's for you. And even if you're not, it's for you because he's going to really be addressing whatever holds us back from being the person that we're meant to be. Um, and he's going to be bringing in some of the iAwake technology uh, to those sessions. So that's super duper exciting. That's really cool. And we love John around here. It's awesome to have him back in the family. Um, yeah, this is great. I look forward to that. And, you know, I, I, I actually love how he's framing that sort of, um, you know, for everybody. Because as we know, addiction doesn't just take the form of substance abuse. I mean, we all have all sorts of allergies and addictions. I mean, I've got a thing with sugar, <laughs> you know, uh, and it can be really, really hard to break those kinds of, of addictions. And I'm, I'm super happy that we have John to sort of create a space where we can start looking at some of that and, you know, making object out of some of these, these subjects and some of these hidden patterns that we have. And um, you know, for a lot of us, just sort of simple coping mechanisms, that, especially after something like a year long quarantine, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we're all kind of struggling with, 
few allergies, a few new allergies and a few new addictions that, uh, you know, weren't necessarily there a year or a year and a half ago. So that's really cool. Yeah. And he's really excited too. So, um, so yeah, definitely be on the lookout for both of those practice leaders coming in, in March. Um, and we're going to have some new sessions too, that have never been seen on the platform before. So I'm going to let that be a surprise, but, uh, but from practice leaders who have been, um, on our, on our platform for a while, but are just offering some new little tidbits. So that'll be fun. Uh, yeah. And then, and then, you know what, one other thing actually that I would say is kind of a, you know, we've been talking a lot about how to be in practice. I mean, obviously this, this show is kind of about that, right? The art of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that has really kind of been coming out of some conversations that the practice leaders have been having, um, as well as conversations you and I have had, is how to be kind of in a meta practice, right? Like how we show up in practice is actually a practice. Um, so what's super exciting about that is, uh, is framing it around our pillars, I guess. I don't know what you usually call them, but I think of them as pillars pillars. (laughs) of wake up, grow up, clean up and show up. Um, and, and, you know, what, what I think that it really calls us to do in this, in this idea of meta practice is that waking up is really about, um, tuning into our motivation for sharing things. So before speaking, really starting to be b- become much more mindful about what has relevance to the conversation in the moment um, and speaking with intention and also remaining aware of our impact on others. So that's kind of like a, you know, a, a wake up meta practice um, for showing up in practice and a, and a grow up meta practice for showing up in practice is listening with attention. Mm. Um, rather than thinking about what you want to share next, um, being respectful uh, of all members of the group. And, you know, there's this one practice that I actually quite love when it comes to this. And, and that is that if you, if you usually speak, um, practice being with the tension of not speaking. And if you don't usually speak, practice being with the tension of speaking. Um, both of those rich. are tension points and, and it can, yeah, it can be extremely rich to just be with that, that point of tension. It's almost like the idea of either, you know, sitting in the front seat or sitting in the back seat of the practice. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, on the cleanup front, um, clean up any misunderstandings right away. So if something happens in one of the practice sessions, if someone, uh, is, if someone is offended by something you say, or, um, or if you say something that has an unintentional impact, to, to clean it up mm. um, and and, and to take responsibility yeah. for your own experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, I think that um, all of us being willing to apologize for missteps um, and to ask for clarification when we need it, um, and to you know, and to lean in when the conversations get hard, and and practice being deeply present, like that actually contributes to the experience of not just us, but of, of the entire group. It allows us all to go deeper. Beautifully said, yeah. And, and you know, and lastly, show up, which, which isn't a lastly at all. <laughs> um, yeah, when you come into the practice rooms, be, be ready and prepared to show up fully. Um, practice being with your discomfort by leaning in, uh, engaging when you're not comfortable. Um, doing the things that the practice is designed to do, even if it's something that you just kind of feel like you don't want to in that moment, like sharing with others or breaking out into, um, into smaller groups, 
uh, but being available to contribute, to practice with others, to meet in those breakouts, and even to be on video, all of those are ways of showing up more fully. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, another piece of showing up um, that I think feeds into this as a meta practice is simply cultivating the sort of the, the volition, the will to practice. I mean, it takes something to show up to one of these live sessions. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who do show up to these live sessions who probably, you know, ordinarily would prefer maybe to do one of the standalone practices and self-directed and kind of be, you know, in their own silo with it. And that's, that's fine too. We have those resources available, but there's something really, really special that happens when these people come together within a practice container. And um, I just want to celebrate the people who have, you know, sort of stepped one or two steps outside of, you know, what's maybe their, their comfort zone um, in order to try something new and in order to commit to this container of practice. I mean, it's, it's, it's really wonderful to see. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. And, and, and keeping in mind that, you know, we talk about development um, in order for us to develop we have to be willing to step, step outside of our comfort zones. Like we have to be willing to take those steps. Um, stretching ourselves is what develops us. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. Thanks. Yep. No, that's well said. I mean, when you're doing weight training, it's not the first 20 reps that do it. It's those last two where you can barely, get, you know, that's, that's what develops the, the muscle. That's what creates the strength. Um, and I think the same is true for, for practice. It's, it's being yep. able to take that extra step, like, oh, and then you can run back into your safe spot and your comfort zone and you can, <laughs> you know, have an Oreo or two and call it a day. Um, but as long as you're, you're challenging yourself, that's, that's great. No, and I really love uh, this piece about meta practice and, you know, I'm sure that we're going to have more sort of comments and notes about exactly this as we unfold this show in the months to come, Yeah, because there's a lot of ways to relate to this big practice thing. And it really is big. I mean, there's so many dimensions of practice and there's so many facets of ourselves to be practiced, Yeah, you know, um, that it's, it's, it's exciting, but it can also be a little bit overwhelming maybe for some folks. And that's why I'm, I'm happy that we're doing the show and that we offer the platform. Cause I think it's giving people an accessible breadcrumb trail that leads them really to their own completion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, with that said, I actually just want to say something to anybody who's listening to this show who hasn't yet uh, come to one of the practice groups. They're fantastic. Um, they're mm. totally fun. Uh, and there's something that happens in these group environments that just can't happen on your own. So take that risk, dive in, find something that sounds interesting to you. Don't be afraid to show up. Um, they're really lovely. And, the, and I've had several people, in, in, in fact, in the last month who have come to sessions of mine who said, this is my first one. And, and, and they, they were delighted by what mm. they experienced. Um, mm. And the feedback they gave was actually really sweet. And I, I just want to encourage anybody who's been thinking about it, but hasn't, hasn't you know, taken, that, taken that step yet to do it. Um, you know, yeah. one idea I have just listening to you talk, please, one idea I had was, was maybe invite folks, you know, if you're, if you're still feeling a little bit uncomfortable and you're, you're kind of feeling this out a little bit, maybe one really good practice to show up to because it's a little bit more celebratory would be the, um, the upcoming tea time practice that we're doing. That would yeah. be a really be good kind of first step. Here's, here's a taste of what a, a, a practice container tastes like. There's not a whole lot of pressure. You're just going to drink some tea yeah. and feel good and be with other people who, you know, are like you. Um, that might be a really cool kind of, you know, a way to put your, your toe in the water. 
I love that you brought that one. Actually, Nate does a really beautiful job of, of, of mindfulness um, while enjoying a cup of tea. So yes, if you haven't yet had a chance to join a practice and you'd like to, to, to take that chance, um, that is a great one because it's super, super lovely. And everybody who's gone to it has been really happy about, mm. about <laughs> being there. So yeah. Yep. All right. Beautiful. Well, should we uh, sort of segue into the main meat of this episode? I guess we should. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to this is gonna be a big one. I think we're going to have a lot to say, and we have about eh, 45 minutes to say it all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we are going to unpack the integral Enneagram. Um, so just to let people know, we're doing something that I think is really kind of extraordinary here. So we have this amazing practice platform with all of these different kinds of practices and practice series and all of that. But one of the practice series that we're doing that is really super robust and that we have created a lot of resources for is this integral Enneagram series. Mm -hmm. And just to let people know what that involves. So every month we do sort of a, a basic orientation, sort of a, an Enneagram orientation session uh, called Harnessing the Power of Your Enneatype, right? Did I get that title right? Um, and that's sort of, again, that's, that's a way to kind of touch all bases, get a sense for what the integral Enneagram is, what kind of wisdoms we can extract from it, uh, et cetera. But then we actually have a series of monthly groups that focuses on each of the nine Enneagram types. And every month, those Enneagram types are sort of, are sort of weaving their experience through a particular theme. And that mm -hmm. theme is largely being left up to the practice leaders themselves. That's right. But, but this is such a really, really cool way to do this. And we've also um, created resources where if you don't know what your Enneagram type is already, uh, you can go, you know, do some, some sort of self-discovery there. Uh, we've got a really great survey that has um, been very helpful for a lot of people. Um, and maybe we can, you know, talk about that survey a little bit later. Um, but we have all of these resources that stack up into this ongoing, really, again, very, very robust uh, in-depth Enneagram practice series that's really, really focusing on the qualities and the characteristics and the strengths and the challenges associated with each of these types. And man, has it been awesome. I mean, it's been absolutely amazing how much depth, uh, you know, these, these groups and these practice leaders have, have um, uncovered. It's, it's been incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm, I am really, I'm really glad that we're doing it the way that we are. I think that, um, you know, that, as you mentioned, we have this one monthly, uh, sort of all the types, uh, are represented in that one monthly session. And, and even in that session, we are covering different themes each time. So, um, what's cool about that session is that, uh, we've got a different practice leader leading, leading pretty much each time. Um, which means we rotate through and you get to, you get to experience a lot of different practice leaders. Uh, and, and in fact, um, Namali is actually the one who's going to be doing it this month. It's always the last week of the month, uh, the last Saturday of the month. And, um, and this time she's going to be talking about, um, let's see, she's going to be talking about diving into, uh, into whatever strategies we have regard, you know, because of our type, mm -hmm. um, for getting what we want. So this ought to be a, a particularly fun one. Um, so yeah, even in that one, we we end up rotating themes, which is very cool. And then in the in the in the deeper dives in the groups, we're practicing with our type. And what's very fun about that is that each of the practice leaders are actually of the same type. 
So I like, for instance, I'm an Enneagram three and I lead the Enneagram three practice sessions. Um, but this is really a great opportunity if you, you know, if you already know your type and you are wanting to practice deeper um, to learn aspects about your type and also how to um, how to leverage that so that you can you can go further in your own development, then it's great for that. Um, if you are still trying to figure out your type, uh, they're also, you know, and, and you're kind of trying to decide between two or three of them. Um, going into one of those groups actually can really help because you can start to get a feel for whether, whether these are your people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's actually, um, I, I love that we're doing it that way. So, and those, those practice and, and you don't have to have ever been to one of them before. Um, it's not like those, uh, practice sessions are building on each other. They're all, uh, they all allow you to just come in, you know, at whatever time you enter into those practice groups and just, um, be able to practice. So they're, they're, they're lovely. And do you suggest like, let's say someone is watching and they say, well, you know, I'm a type, whatever, I'm a type three, let's say, um, and my husband is a type seven. And I want to, you know, sort of understand what makes my husband tick a little bit more than, you know, than I currently do. Would you, would you recommend that someone maybe attend a session uh, that's associated with a type of a loved one so that they can, you know, figure out how to relate more skillfully? We definitely have people who are doing that, in fact. Um, and, and yes, I think that that can be helpful. I would just remember to keep in mind that the, the practices are designed specifically for the type. So it's mm-hmm. going to have a, a particular flavor. However, um, one of the very interesting things about the Enneagram is that we have online types within us. Um, so even if it isn't your predominant type, there is going to be something you can get out of it. Uh, however, the discussion will be specific to that type. Mm, great. Yeah. No, it's helpful. So I'm kind of thinking maybe we should back up a little bit because there might be some people watching right now who are like, okay, I've, I've, I've heard of the Enneagram, <laughs> but I, you know, I don't have much familiarity with, with this. What is this weird numerological, you know, sort of system that you guys are using? Why are you using it? Um, you know, so, so maybe we actually back up and, and talk a little bit about what the Enneagram actually is. I, I'm not sure if we have to really focus so much on what its origins are, because I mean, largely some of them are unknown, actually. There's, you know, a few major thinkers that have informed how we think about the Enneagram today, but what preceded them is, is you know, it's, it's sort of contentious. Um, so there's a lot of kind of different influences coming in with the Enneagram. Um, you know, and, and my sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I was actually asked this kind of point blank. I was asked um, by someone on Facebook, why do you use the Enneagram? It seems a little weird to me. Isn't it just a little kind of woo, you mm. know, meaning a little bit new agey, a little magical, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was interesting because in my response, I kind of, I kind of bypassed the woo part a little bit. You know, I was like, I, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, and I do hear what you're saying, but my question is how much utility does it have? And for me, what makes the Enneagram useful is that it gives sort of an appropriate level of granularity, right? So, I mean, when we look at all these different typing systems that are out there, and, and let me just say that up front, the Enneagram is primarily a typing system. The idea being that we all have certain types, different typologies, different ways of being. And those ways of being tend to be the same as we grow from, you know, sort of one level to the next levels. We grow up through our, our these multiple altitudes. If you're a amber four, like I was 30 years ago, then you're going to be an orange four and a green four. Generally speaking, your type doesn't change even as your altitude does. 
But one of the interesting things about the, about the Enneagram, which you just mentioned sort of, Lisa, is that not only do we all have these different types within us, right? We're always encountering and interfacing with multiple types um, and figuring out sort of how to you know, do that skillfully. So it's all within us in a certain sense, but also the more mature we are in our own Enneagram type, the more developed we are, the more practiced we are, the more growing up work that we've done, the more they kind of start bleeding together a little bit, right? Okay, well, um, you were asking about it being woo, first of all, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, let me address that because I think that that's a, I think it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, let's, let's, just, let's just talk about personality, like personality, um, the idea of, of people having different personalities that is not native to the Enneagram. Uh, there are lots of personality typing structures out there. And, um, and some of the origins of the Enneagram may have uh, some esoteric uh, uh, thinking and background. But when you start to get into exactly what you were saying, the granularity of the actual typing system and what it offers, in my mind, the Enneagram is, is, is actually up to the task of the complexity that personalities actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of my biggest beefs when it comes to things like the, you know, the MBTI, um, uh, the five, uh, whatever, the, the big five personality traits, the, like any of those to me. Um, well, and, and part of this is also when I take those tests, I end up feeling like I be, I am different things depending, uh, on the point in time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, they're never granular enough to be able to dial into something that I feel like I can really get into and use as a tool to progress my own development and evolution. And the Enneagram for me definitely is that. Um, it offers a level of complexity that I think is um, for those of us who are drawn to complexity, <clears throat> anybody who likes integral would be in that, <laughs> in that particular domain. Um, yeah, that it, it actually offers, it offers layers of complexity that begin to make sense. And, and as you, as you, it's almost like a tapestry. Um, so the deeper you go into the Enneagram, the more that you can unpack what it is about um, about that type that needs to uh, needs to shift in order for us to evolve further on our path, and you know one of the things that there's also a lot of times there's pushback around this idea of well you know is type really that important because aren't we just talking about you know personality and and isn't the whole idea of waking up going beyond personality. Yes, it is going beyond personality, but in order for us to be able to do that, we have to understand how our identity is actually structured and mm-hmm. what those little pieces are within our identity that need to move um, in order for us to become less identified with it, right? So the Enneagram actually offers this, as I was saying, beautiful tapestry of, um, of, of each of these nine types that allows us to understand what the leverage points are in our own type structure that we need to use in order to wake up more fully. So, you know, the there's like, and 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 I always think of the Enneagram as having two movements, much like um, much like development. As you start looking at development as an arc, it has two movements. Um, but there's the movement of us becoming um, more solid in our 
infrastructure, which of course is super important. Um, this is, you know, this is a huge part of the first half, especially of, of our development as adults. So mm -hmm. uh, we become much more solidified in our ego structure. We, we have healthy egos. Mm -hmm. um, and then as, as we sort of meet, you know, as we, as we reach the pinnacle of that, um, it, what became, begins to become available to us is, uh, is, is dissolving our ego, right? And starting to make it less, um, actually in the, when we were talking in the pre-show, you said opaque, which I really mm -hmm. love, mm -hmm. yeah, um, to make our egos more transparent. And, and the Enneagram offers uh, a, an ability for us to do both of those movements. So regardless of where you are on your own path, the Enneagram can help us build that healthy structure of ego. And then it can also help us to transcend and, and, and make that ego more transparent as we, as we dissolve it into becoming much more our core, um, our core self, which is being. So it's, it's beautiful in that mm. way. And I don't see any other personality typing system out there that has the ability to do that. Right. Um, they can actually show you the path for your specific personality type to awakening. I love that. No, and I, and I love how you contextualize it in terms of, look, the Enneagram is in fact focusing on personality. And we can say that personality is, you know, that's our frontal self. That's our most shallow self in a certain kind of sense. Mm -hmm. However, it's important to remember, which I think you offered us a really nice reminder that spirituality, particularly integral spirituality is not hostile to the ego or to the self or to the persona. You know, I've got a shorthand for this, which seems to work for people, which is, you know, growing up is the process of actually making your ego bigger and bigger and bigger. A teal and turquoise ego is bigger than an orange or green ego, right? So that's the job of growing up, making your ego bigger. The job of waking up is to make that ego more transparent to itself, less opaque. So it, we're not just trapped in self all the time, right? Cleaning up is about getting as much of that ego in front of our face as we possibly can so we can see it and track it and identify it and not have these sort of hidden subjects lurking in our you know psychological basement wreaking havoc on our lives and then of course showing up is actually using that big transparent fully present ego as an instrument in the world in order to you know generate influence create positive effects reduce suffering all of that, that's where the showing up comes in. So all four of these have, you know, a very, very sort of, um, they refine our sense of ego in very important and very different sort of ways. I mean, I'll say Ken Wilber, he's got one of the biggest egos <laughs> of anyone you'll ever meet, but he's done the work to make it transparent, right? And that's what makes him such a powerful communicator and teacher and artist and writer and, and, and so forth. Um, yeah. so that's, that's, that's really helpful. And, and I, and I think you're right that the Enneagram does a super, super good job of honing in on sort of these particular patterns. We call them patterns of being patterns of relating in our work with Leslie Hirschberger and, uh, Helen Palmer. Um, and that's really what they are. They're just these fundamental patterns, which I don't know whether we're born with them, whether it's nature or nurture. I mean, I think it's probably a little of column A, a little of column B, you know? Um, I'm sure your parents' types inform sort of what your own types are and how you cope and all that stuff. But the idea being you have certain fundamental patterns. And if you just simply 
spend the time to learn about them and learn what they are and learn really how your own mind ticks, that's giving you more leverage in your growing up, in your waking up, in your cleaning up, and in your showing up. You're just able to you're, you're able to practice that much better, that much more deeply that, you know, you're able to bring that much more engagement to your practice because, you know, sort of, here's my strengths, here's my weaknesses, here's what I got to look out for. Here's, you know, where I'm really going to excel. And, yeah. you know, you're allowed, you're, it allows you to be a little bit more realistic with your own ongoing development and awakening and so forth. Yeah. And it really helps, I think, illuminate the blind spots. Yeah. Um, because we all have them, right? Like that is, that's the reality of our, of our human, uh, our human experience is that there are the things that are obvious to us and our own about ourselves even. Um, and then there are the things that are hidden from us mm-hmm. and that we either have to rely on the feedback from others for, um, or we have to somehow discover on our, on our own. And the Enneagram is really great at pointing out those blind spots. Uh, depending on your type, which is, is in my mind, super duper helpful. Um, you know, you were talking about the nature versus nurture thing. And I, I think this is actually an interesting point because I, I learned this when I was first studying the Enneagram <clears throat> that, and I, and I haven't heard anything that, that uh, to the contrary of this in, in all of those years since um, is that, is that yes, very much nature and nurture. And the way that that ends up showing up is that we have a, um, we are likely born into one of the triads. Um, so there's a thinking, feeling, and, um, an instinctual triad. Um, and, uh, and with that, um, once we are, once we come into the world and we are in our family system, um, the family system will actually help to dictate whether within that triad we become an an under expressor of that of you know of that thing um the head heart or or body instinct uh an over expressor um or or a person who is blocked in that particular um in that particular wisdom area and and that's and that's what ends up happening so that's very much you know about our family system about the messages we get as we grow up um, but we are likely born into either the head, heart, or instinct uh, triad. That's fascinating. That's that's a really interesting way to to sort of break that down. Um, and it resonates. Yeah. It totally resonates. Um, I, you know, at being a feeling type primarily, um, and <laughs> I sort of, uh, you know, I'm 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 an enneagram type four. Basically, my story, Lisa, is I thought I had a four decade long depression until I learned I was a type four. <laughs> And then it all kind of snapped into focus. I was like, oh, okay. I'm not broken. I just, I just have a type that tells me I'm broken. Um, and all, you know, and being an Enneagram type four, what that really means is I have a very, very rich inner life and a totally natural incompetence in every other quadrant, <laughs> which I'm slowly getting better at. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I totally get that path. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Enneagram until I was in my, I think my mid twenties, I first took a test, but then I didn't really drop, drop into it. And it, it wasn't until my mid thirties that I really got into it. Um, but I'm an Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three, as I said earlier. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, you know, it was through understanding that, that I became, began to understand why it was that sometimes I felt like, um, it was easier to uh, be in work mode and to be doing rather than being, um, rather than relaxing and rather than actually connecting mm. um, with others. And that it took a long time for me to, to discover 
um, what the, the difference between um, showing up in action was and showing up in, um, in my beingness was. Um, so yeah, I totally get it. It, it. it actually can be really illuminating to learn about your enneotype and to and to then and then to discover like what what are the ways in which this has been showing up for me, um, and what are the things that I just haven't caught on to yet that actually this highlights for me. Totally. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one of the things is when you start learning about your enneagram type. And this is, by the way, I just want to mention this is why typing systems are so um, popular right? Yeah. Because there's an instant gratification to it. Like a typing system can give you a whole lot of information about yourself without necessarily needing to do a, a whole lot of work to get it, right? Yeah. I just have to answer a few questions and then like, oh my God, you know? So a lot of people relate to this almost like, you know, astrology in a certain kind of way. Like, oh, I just right. read kind of my, my little column and oh, it's so insightful and, and it really can be. And this is why typing systems are a really great, I think, on-ramp to personal development work because it gets you excited and it gives you something to work with almost right away. Almost right okay. away, you can say, you know, you've got these patterns. This is something to bring more mindfulness to. Here's how it might interfere with your, you know, ongoing growth and development and et cetera. So there's a lot of that sort of instant gratification. But then when you really start, I think, immersing yourself in it, um, you, you start exactly as you said, you start seeing all of these little hidden biases, these, these blind spots, these little pieces of yourself that you just haven't been aware of, just haven't been tracking. And it can actually create a ton of healing as it has for me. When you realize that certain qualities that you have, you might relate to them as, okay, these are kind of lower, these are coming from a lower place in myself. It's coming from a lower insecurity or some unmet need that's like way down there somewhere. Right. And for me, my experience with the Enneagram was, um, you know, for like a big one for me was um, really, really caring what people think of me. All right. Mm -hmm. There's a part of that that's like, okay, well, you know, I, I had a hard time during my socialization process when I was a kid. So it was a part of my socialized mind that's always just a little bit distorted because the experiences didn't unfold as smoothly as they did for some other kids and etc. So there's, there's that too, like there's real sort of shadows that we need to pay attention to. And then I learned, oh, and this is an ongoing sort of pattern of Enneagram type fours, no matter where in your development you are, there's a piece of this pattern that's just not gonna, not gonna go away. And that was liberating to me to learn because it's like, oh, now I can relate to this quality that I want to change in myself, but I can locate it correctly. It's not this thing that's coming, not necessarily just to this thing that's coming from an unserved level deep down in me. There's this ongoing pattern or rhythm that I got to pay attention to and I got to fulfill. And for me personally, that has brought me out of this, you know, I think a lot of type fours have um, a sense of, of being alienated of being, you know, sort of isolated because really what we want most of all is to be unique. Right? right. And that's can be alienating. We withdraw ourselves from sort of the rest of the world. And then it gets very frustrating when we learn that, oh, this desire to be unique is just one of nine, <laughs> one of nine <laughs> Enneagram patterns. How unique am I? I'm I'm just as unique as one ninth of, <laughs> of everyone else out there who's trying to do the same thing as I am. And that realization itself is liberating because you start to see how we get overly attached. Like I've been so precious about my brokenness for years. You know what I mean? Like, oh, woe is me kind of stuff. 
Um, and then when you actually start to get a, a sense of how that fits into your Enneagram type, it just, again, it gives you that much more leverage to do something about it. Now I have a better chance of finding happiness and fulfillment and getting out of this, I'm so broken, everything's so broken kind of mindset, right? That it actually allows me the perspective to receive joy and happiness and fulfillment and get over all of these, you know, little broken selves that I've been carrying around with me for decades. Yeah. So it's profound. It's really profound. I agree. I agree. And, and it's nice to think about, you know, it's nice to think about the Enneagram as your type as like a collection of tendencies. Yeah. So the tendencies aren't necessarily going to go away. Um, there, you know, like for you, the Enneagram four, there'll always be a tendency toward, um, a bit of, of melodrama, for instance. Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> there'll always be a, a tendency. <laughs> Um, and, um, and that gives you something to work with. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, here I am, um, you know, in this moment, maybe being melodramatic and, um, and that's actually not serving the, you know, how I, you know, whatever, whatever it is that I'm trying to enact in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can choose to dial that back. I can understand that I have this tendency, um, and I can understand that it's triggered particularly under circum certain circumstances. And then I can allow myself to dial that back. And all of this with the self-compassion piece, right? Of understanding, right. yeah, okay, well, you know, as an Enneagram 4, I've got tendencies. <laughs> and that's just how it is. And yeah. I can be passionate with that aspect of, of, my, of me that is trying to get my needs met in a particular way. Mm. And work uh, with it. That's well said, because you can redirect it. That right. melodrama, for example, is very useful when I'm in a creative right. mode. If I'm doing writing or or what have you, I want that melodrama. It gives me color, brings right. life force into, into you know, my creativity. If I'm having an argument with my wife and I just start tripping off and you know, spiraling into my own little mental just neurosis, mm -hmm. that's maybe something I want to do a better job of avoiding. So yeah, it, it, it does. It reveals these patterns and almost demands that you do something about it, right? Yeah, and the trick, the trick actually to that is, um, <clears throat> well, there's, there's probably two things. One is that uh, we have to be careful um, because it can be enticing to begin to identify with our type, right? Yes. Um, it can be, because, and especially if you're, when you're first getting to know your type, there's a way you can kind of, um, uh, well, for some, I would say some types, you can fall in love with your type. For others, um, we may have an aversion to some of the aspects of our type and not so much in love with it, right? But there's this way that it starts to describe, oh, this is the reason why I've had this collection of experiences all my life. Oh, now I understand why it is that I've had these kinds of relationships. Oh, now I get why I show up this way at work, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we, and, and, we, and we start to see things through this lens in a particular way that is useful um, and, and then we have to be careful of the, of the trap that can occur, which is that we get overly identified with our types. So that's the part that we don't want to do. And actually, this is what I've heard is a, you know, is a, a, an objection to using the Enneagram too. It's like, why do I want to become, why do I want to be a type, right? Um, because it allows us to have a better understanding of these patterns and tendencies, and we have to say, yeah, it's not so much that I am like I, it's not so much that I am a type three. It's much more like 
I have a type three living inside of me. <laughs> yeah. It's like right? good mind almost. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I have a type three living inside of me and, and that type three, that personality structure wants to get its needs met in certain ways. Yeah. And it will assert itself under certain circumstances in very predictable ways. <laughs> and I can actually watch it. Yeah. And I can watch it happen. I can watch yeah. it happen again and again. Um, but yeah, this gives us the opportunity to be able to see our ego structure, to make that subject object move, to be able to see it as an object and say, oh yeah, there's that, there's that thing, right? There's that, there's, there's my ego doing its thing. This is what it looks like. And here I can see it again and again and again and again. And that really is that movement of being able to then make the ego, the, the self-identity far more transparent um, is, is being able to point to it over and over and over again and, and having the awareness to say, yep, there it is. Yeah. Yep, there it is. That's such and an Enneagram, awesome one. Yeah. And the Enneagram gives us kind of a really beautiful packaging around being able to do that. Yeah. No, it's such an, and, and there you go. I mean, the, the, the litmus test as to whether or not you are wielding the Enneagram, something like the Enneagram properly is just ask yourself, is this creating more opacity or less? Right? right. And I think you're right that when people first get into this stuff, it, it almost comes in stages, right? And the yeah. first stage is like, oh my God, me, 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 me. And yeah. we create just this whole, you know, labyrinth of self around us and we mythologize ourselves and you know what I mean? And that can be, again, that can be liberating. That's an important part of sort of, you know, the, 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 the sort of the unfolding here, that's a really important part of it because you're, you're immersing yourself and you're seeing yourself sometimes for the first time. Right. And that can be revelatory for people, but then you got to take the second step. Right. I mean, I've known people who got caught in the first step and they start saying things like, well, you see, <laughs> I'm an Enneagram type seven, which means if you want to interact with me, you need to do the fall. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is so not how the Enneagram is supposed to be. It's not, it's not your responsibility to cater to my type. It's my responsibility to get over my own type so that I can actually communicate with you and receive whatever it is that you're bringing to me. So it's like, okay. first step, learn about yourself. Second step, put yourself down so that you can learn about others and be more present with other people. Right. Yeah. You got to yeah, be somebody before you can be nobody though. <laughs> yes. That's true. I mean, the first movement is really important and there's no shame in actually dropping into, oh my God, I can't believe that this is describing these things in such a way that like, I can feel that this is true and dropping into that, like that, that is an important part of the discovering the, the value um, of this particular typing structure. And so there's no shame in that. Um, and then the invitation definitely is, okay, now what, right? Mm. So this is how it is, right? This is how it's been. <laughs> and now what? Right. Um, and the now what is now I get to see that, which means that I get to work with it. Um, now I get to see how this type shows up with my wife and how, how, you know, how our types interact together, as you were just saying. Mm -hmm. um, and then we are invited further into how do I now move from the ego using me <laughs> mm -hmm. to me using the ego, just like what you were talking about. There are aspects of the Enneagram four that you really want to draw on when you are doing particular things like writing, mm -hmm. right? Like it's extremely useful. This is the, e this is us using the ego rather than the ego using us. Um, and, and the ability to, to catch on to that and the ability to work with it at that level is really available through the Enneagram. And again, as I said at the beginning, I, I don't see it available through any other personality typing structure. 
um, and at least not to the depth and complexity that I've seen in the Enneagram. So I do, I do think this is a useful tool. Um, and it's, and then, and then once you start to drop into your own type, um, yeah, I think that the exciting part is that, is that, uh, the relationship piece, like, all right, so <clears throat> there's been a lot of, of, um, research into how particular types interact with, how, uh, with other types, mm-hmm. um, both in intimate contexts and also in professional contexts. Um, so what does it mean to have a boss who is a particular type when you are showing up as an Enneagram four? What does it mean to be married to an Enneagram eight when you're an Enneagram three? What, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the um, red flags that will come forward as a result of that, those two types showing up, especially if they're showing up without having done, you know, enough deep work um, that makes, that, that makes it, you know, it makes our egos transparent to ourselves, like before that's happened. And then what, what becomes possible when both of those two types have done that work um, and can meet and can meet in the middle there. So, yeah, I think that there's some, some real beauty. It, uh, you know, the, the longer that I'm involved in studying the Enneagram, the more I realize I don't know um, yeah. is, is how it, how it kind of rolls out for me. It's like, Sounds yeah, almost like wisdom, Lisa. Yeah, <laughs> sounds, sounds dangerously close to wisdom. Yeah, and in fact, that actually brings me to, I saw somebody had asked earlier about a, a book. Um, I actually really love The Wisdom of the Enneagram by uh, Riso and Hudson. Um, it's a book that has some um, self, uh, uh, self-assessments for each of the chapters. So you can see sort of what your, you know, your own assessment, they're, they're really good. Um, and it also gives you the broad strokes of each of the types in some very dialed in ways that you can work with and gives you some practices to do. So I think that this is for somebody who is just branching into the Enneagram. I really think it's one of the best books out there. That's fantastic. Another resource I just want to recommend to people is again, we've got two courses, um, on integrallife.com that we've, we've had for years and people really, really love them. They're popular every year. They're just, they're, they're kind of perennial bestsellers for us. And those are the patterns of uh, collections. We have patterns of being and patterns of relating. And what's interesting about the second one is it does exactly what you're talking about, Lisa. It almost shows like the algorithms of enfoldment. So it shows like, here's how a four interfaces with a two. Here's how a five interfaces with a seven. And it, and it kind of, it role plays each of these types in relation to each other so that you can see objectively as you're watching these two people have a conversation, what gets missed, right? What gets misinterpreted, what gets sort of distorted just because it's not being, it's coming through the filter of one type and into the filter of another type. And we can all enact things in, you know, slightly different ways. And I think that this course does a really, really good job of showing what some of these dynamics look like so that when they happen in your own conversations, your own relationships, you can identify them, you can spot them, and then you can shift them. It gives you that, that, you know, the, the extra sort of responsiveness of like, okay, I see this, I see this playing itself out almost exactly like it played out in that video I watched last week. Um, <laughs> let, let, let me judo this into something a little bit more productive, more generative, um, et cetera. So that's a really, really cool resource uh, that's available to people alongside these ongoing um, Enneagram practice sessions that we're doing. And then Lisa, br- real briefly with the time we have left, the other thing I just want to talk about is, um, just the whole concept of, of wings, because mm. it's interesting. Um, 
it's interesting. Just you and I have talked about this. I've, I've told you this before. So as a four with a five wing, which means I'm about as disembodied as it gets, <laughs> right? I just like sit way back here in the bottom of the Enneagram and, you know, just let all the shit kind of fall down in between. Um, but as a four with a five wing, you know, I always kind of leaned on my five. So that's where I get like, you know, my love of integral, for example, my cognitive love of integral. And I think Ken himself is probably a five. So there, there's my sort of attraction to him. And for the longest time, I held my other wing as a shadow, my three wing mm -hmm. as a shadow. And what I've talked to you, because you as a three represent my wing, which is something that I've held in shadow for a very long time. And what I've noticed is since, since I've started doing these shows, I've been leaning into my three a lot more than ever before in my life. And one of the things that I've noticed is how it's made me like more attracted to the threes in my life. Like Lisa, you have something I need and I'm going to get it from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's, it's totally this really interesting pivot. So can you briefly explain this concept of wings and how you can be a type, but also kind of have sort of access to these other types? Yeah, and if we think of the Enneagram, um, if we think of the types kind of on like a, like a, on a circle, like a, a clock, right, except mm -hmm. for it's one through nine, um, uh, what we can see is that on either side of whatever our type is, there are two, you know, there's, there's another type. Um, oh, yes, perfect. That's actually super duper I, I, I come with visual aids. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, each of those main points, that's, the, that's, one, of the, that's one of the types. Um, so on either side of us, there is a, there's another number, right? And we have a tendency, depending on, again, how we grew up and the experiences that we had, um, we have a tendency to lean toward um, one side or the other. So as you were just saying, you know, your tendency has been to lean toward five and lean away from three. Um, however, the, the sort of interesting thing is that we have access to both. We have access to both wings. Um, and there's a really, there's some really good reasons why we might want to explore mm. with the, the one that we tend to lean away from, um, because it does give us uh, uh, access to things that we wouldn't normally be able to enact in our lives. Just like you were saying, in, you know, this is a beautiful example, that there's this way in which your Enneagram 3, which is, it tends to be much more outgoing, um, tends to sort of like the spotlight more mm -hmm. uh, and tends to and tends to, you know, like to just show up in some in some more extroverted ways um, that 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 actually allows you to show up on on these podcasts in a completely different way than if you were coming more from the five. Um, you're more you're more social, um, you're more loving. And, um, and there's a way that you're more engaging as a result of having some of that Enneagram 3 influence. Totally. So being able to lean into that is, is a really great thing. Um, but it's outside of our comfort zone, as we talked about in the beginning of the, of the, of the call. It's like, you know, there's a way that it's not in, within our comfort zone, and yet we have access to it. Right. So it's actually a beautiful practice to lean into whatever wing we don't tend to we don't tend to utilize, and also to bring awareness to the wing that we do tend to hang out in, um, because that definitely influences our personality structure. So it isn't just that we are you know whatever our primary our primary enneagram is. We do have a wing generally. Now there are some people who have balanced wings, but most of us 
have a tendency to lean into one side or the other. So yeah, getting to play and, but, but it's like, you know, the, our field of operating. So, so as a three, my field of operating in that threeness is actually anywhere from between two and four, <laughs> you know? So like yeah. I have an entire span of space that I can operate within. Now I may choose to only operate in this little tiny area, but the more that I can expand myself and allow myself to um, go into the the side that I don't normally um, that I don't normally play in. Uh, the more the more access I have, the more aspects of me. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. So, what is your what is your uh, weak wing and what is your strong wing? My strong wing is four, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably why you and I you know connect really really well. Mm -hmm. um, my weaker one is two. And uh, yeah, and so, but, but I, I also have been playing more with my, with my uh, less dominant wing over the last few years. And, and that's, been, that's been really fun. Well, I mean, you are literally, I would say a lot of what you're doing with the ILP platform, and again, herding all these cats and creating these experiences for people yeah. uh, seems to lean on, on your two wing. <clears throat> yeah. Just in my observation, there seems to be yeah. a two-ishness to it. Now you're also a practice leader. So you get to be in the spotlight and you get to like, come to my sessions, right? So you get, you get enough of that three in there too, as well. But um, you're, you're doing such an amazing job of, again, just holding this space for others and allowing others to fully express their own brilliance and their own insights and their own wisdom uh, within this platform. I, I think to me shows a uh, remarkable balance. So that's, that's Thank awesome. You. You know, in my experience, having being a four and leaning entirely on a five with a three in the shadow, that just simply started feeling like imposter syndrome. I mean, that's really what that was. And I've noticed that my way of getting out of my own imposter syndrome is, is, is by contacting the, the three energy. Just be like, no, there's, oh, a part, there's a part of you that likes this, dude. To like, stop <laughs> denying it, right? There's a part of you that actually like wants, I mean, it fits into the four's desire to be seen. Right. right. But without hiding, right? I don't have to hide anymore. I can actually like, no, damn it. I want to be seen. Look at me, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, um, and it's okay. healing. It really is healing. Yeah. I love that. You know, I think that there's one other thing that we should, I, I know that we're almost at the top of the hour and there's one other thing that we should talk about. Cause I, I want to make sure that people who don't know their Enneagram type have some, um, have some ideas on how to approach that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the, the thing about Enneagram tests, and we have one on integral life as well, which is really cool. Um, but it's, you know, the Enneagram, as we've already talked about, is really complex. And so um, any of these tests are actually trying to distinguish beyond, between many, many, many points of reference. There's a lot of variables that are taken into consideration, too many really for a single test to be able to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so with the Enneagram, you have to really approach it as more of a journey. And uh, discovering your type is a journey. And the way that I would approach that journey is to take the test that's on the Interval Live, uh, Interval Life um, site, uh, to take it, but take it from a couple of perspectives. One is um, you want to take it from the perspective of more who you were when your ego was most solid um, or, or, and you were least aware of it. So this is probably in your early 20s. Um, that's going to help yield the most accurate results because once we begin doing the deeper work of, uh, of, of actually undoing some of our patterns and tendencies, then we'll have a, we'll have a tendency um, not to want to see the core, you know, the core issues um, as they were and, and have that be what we are, 
if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so take it from take it from the perspective of who you were in your early twenties to the best of your ability. Um, the second thing is take it quickly. Don't don't spend a lot of time deliberating. Um, because that will end up bringing forward the wrong, the wrong lens as well. Um, you're going to, you're going to be trying to unpack what it means. So don't do that. Just take it. <laughs> um, the third thing is, is when you get your results, take your top three results and do a deeper dive. Um, watch the, you know, we've got some one minute intros on each of the, on each of the types. You can, you can watch those one minute intros, but then you can do some other reading and allow yourself to go a little deeper with it to see which one actually is, you know, it fits the best. Um, for a lot of types, not all of them, but for a lot of types, uh, it will be the one that feels most painful to read. <laughs> um, you know, when you get to the parts that are like not so great about the, the, that particular type, it's gonna feel like, oh yeah, oh. Um, and if, you know, if it turns out you're an eight, that probably won't be true. <laughs> in my experience, <laughs> in my experience, eights tend to really love the type that they are. I think right. sevens also do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think fours in some interesting way also do, um, it, because it's like, oh yes, I get it now. Yeah. And there's yeah. this, there's still, it answers kind of that unique piece. Yep. Um, but yeah, the rest of the types I think will often go, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not, not digging that so much. So, but be willing to do the deeper dive. Um, be willing to, to go on the journey and to, and to figure out what it is for you. Um, and there are certain types that have a harder time uh, finding themselves. Um, type nine has a harder time finding itself for very, for very specific reasons, which are obvious once you start reading about the nine. But um, if, you, if you find that you can't find yourself, <laughs> if you find that, all of them seem like you, then go and read the nine um, because it's, it's, it's quite possible that that's what's happening. So that's, yeah, that's there's some And I will post a link to our typing test. If we have sort of a one page, a one-stop shop for all of our Enneagram offerings, I will post it right down there. Um, and then, yeah, we're a minute over, but we do have one question uh, that someone submitted that I'd love to respond to because it's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, so Phyllis writes, how does the Enneagram interact with mental illness? For example, does depression, malaise, hopelessness, melancholia, and a sense of brokenness make you a four, or can it cover your true Enneagram type? I think this is such a powerful question because there are certain universals, right? So obviously depression and malaise, I mean, this, this is something that can affect any and all Enneagram types, That's obviously, right. obviously some Enneagram types might not, I'm not even going to say are going to be more predisposed to it, but maybe can have a little bit more attachment to some of these feelings as they arise. And, and this is also related to me, Lisa, in terms of, again, just how much this helps clean up because there are certain patterns and characteristics of these types that sometimes people miscategorize. Like for example, fives often, you know, when you read the language and the description of a five, some people read that as like, oh, that sounds kind of like orange altitude. Or they read like nine, they're like, oh, that sounds kind of green altitude. Or they read eight, oh, that sounds kind of red altitude. Well, that's not, that's not quite right. And in fact, this is how understanding both typology and altitude can really help clean so much of this up. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because I, I think that that's, I think that's absolutely correct. And it's important for us not to collapse um, people into any uh, into any particular altitude based on the way that they speak, because some of that could be arising out of their type. Um, and and the more that we can clue into e any of these lenses and understand how they operate with each other, 
the more we can actually, um, you know, start to attend to the fullness of the people that are around us, the fullness of their humanity. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that, I think it's a great question. Thank you, Phyllis. And, and as, as Corey, you said, it, it's true. I, you know, any of these things can it, mental illness, um, and also, uh, and, and also things like depression can affect any of the types. There are certain types that are more given to certain of these things. So, um, you know, addiction shows up in specific types differently uh, than other types. Um, and, and, and the way that people deal with things like depression, it, it may show up differently in some types than other, than other types. Um, and as you pointed out, the relationship that we may have to those states is actually something that will show up differently depending on your type. So for instance, with a type four, the relationship that you have to depression um, and, and having it be kind of a place where, you know, for a type four, where there's really a, a losing oneself in. Mm-hmm. Um, we like for, to brood. We're, yeah. we're, we're a very broody kind of kind of bunch (laughs) and and there's a way that um the way that type fours can can feel like there's it's almost like a a a bit of an of an intoxicating place to go Mm -hmm. um that doesn't show up in the same way for for instance for twos um you know it's 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 not like that uh it doesn't feel like an intoxicating intoxicating place to go it feels scary um so there's there's we have different relationships to each of these things um, and there are also, you know, I, there's, there's some, there's some evidence apparently that, um, each of the, each of the types at their worst, so at their least evolved, when we really disintegrate, um, are tied to specific, uh, uh, uh diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for instance, I know mine for sure, because I was appalled. Um, but what they, what they've seen is that with a type three at, at, at its worst, um, you know, narcissistic personality disorder shows up and, um, and, uh, and also, uh, psychopathy. Um, mm-hmm. so both of those show up at the least evolved, uh, Enneagram three, and there are different ones for each of them. So there's some evidence showing that, you know, specific um, diagnoses and then it's the DSLM, right? DSLM five, now I think it is, um, that those are actually linked to particular personality types, not across the board. So depression, depression, anxiety, some of the state state experiences are not, but some of the other things, um, particular types of addiction show up in certain, in certain types. So totally fascinating. That's really yeah. fascinating and, and, and helpful. And maybe what we'll do, Lisa, is because um, again, there's just so much complexity here. There really is just so much. And we're just scratching the surface here in terms of what the Enneagram is, um, how it can benefit people, et cetera. I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about how, you know, there are oftentimes types within types. Like, for example, there might be a masculine four and a feminine four, or there might be, you know, uh, 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 a type three who orients from the upper left quadrant versus a type three who orients from the lower right quadrant. And all of this is just giving, bringing more granularity uh, to how we relate with ourselves, how we relate with our own tendencies, and how we relate with each other. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, so much more ground to cover here. And again, maybe we'll, we'll pick this, this conversation up um, in a future episode. And in the meantime, any of you guys watching, if you have questions, comments, 
whatever, let us know. Drop them in the comments right below wherever you see this video, whether it's on Integral Life or YouTube or what have you. Uh, we will compile these questions and um, we will address them at, at a, an appropriate time in a future episode. Um, so if you have any questions about the Enneagram, let us know and we'll fold that into our next discussion. Um, sound good to you, Lisa? Yeah, that sounds good. Well, this has been amazing as always. Yeah. And just thank, thank you. you again so much for your time, Lisa. Yeah, thank you, Corey. Yeah. And All right. Everyone and thank at you home. Everybody who joined. Yeah. Yeah. Go practice, people. Yes, go practice. All right. <laughs> Thanks. I know. Bye.